Has anyone ever come to you and said, what is the most I can possibly do for you? Anybody ever said that? Usually, if you're going through a time of hurt or pain or something, people will come up to you and, and they'll say, what can I do for you? And then they're hoping that you'll say something, but most of us go, well, there's nothing I really need right now. And then they'll say something like, well, listen, I will pray for you. It's the least I can do, right? When in reality, probably prayer is the most that we could do. To have all of the resources of the creator of the universe at our beck and call at any time, that is probably the most that we could do. And yet, we don't spend a whole lot of time in prayer. The message, by the way, is not about prayer. Uh, that was pretty much last week and the week before. This week, interestingly enough, it kind of visits us more personally by saying not who do we run to at our time of need and what do we say in prayer to God when we're in desperate need, but how do we treat each other when we are in need? How many of you know the golden rule? Do you know the golden rule? I, in our prep this morning, I said, how many of you know the golden rule? And one mom said, what, what did that one mother say? I can't, I'm not going to get it straight. Uh, wash your hands before you eat, right? <laughs> that is the golden rule. <laughs> and I had to gently correct her because her theology was way off. <laughs> that is not the, the golden rule. What is the golden rule? Yeah, treat others like you would want people to treat you, right? That's what we commonly understand as the golden rule. It was a popular saying, the golden rule was a popular saying in Jesus' day. Now, this is going to rock your world. There's two things this morning that's going to knock you off your socks. The first one I'm about to tell you right now, and that is this. Jesus did not come up with the origins of the golden rule. I know. I know, you're probably thinking to yourself, where's my big lighter? We gotta light them up right now. Don't, don't burn me at the stake yet. Think about this. Before Jesus Christ, there was a golden rule. And it was not do to others as you would have them do to you. But it was a lot like it. The golden rule in Jesus' day was made popular by a lot of different writers. And the golden rule in Jesus' day was don't do anything to others that you wouldn't want them to do to you. That was the golden rule. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, that's very similar, and it is. Jesus did not say this, but this everybody knew. In fact, if I was standing up in front of you in Jesus' day and I were to say to you, what is the golden rule? And you'd never heard Jesus say the golden rule, this is what you would say. You'd be so used to it because it was before, during, and after Jesus, Confucius talked about it, the Stoics talked about it, even Buddhism had a hymn about it, and Buddhism was 500, the origins of Buddhism was 500 years before Jesus. But they all shared one thing in common, they all spoke about it in the negative. Uh, the Buddhism hymn, I looked it up, it says, hurt not others what pains yourself. Hurt not others, what pains yourself? It was a hymn, all right? So always in the negative. In fact, even 50 years before Jesus, in the Jewish Halal, this is the writings of the law, a teacher of the law who died about 30 years before Jesus was born, wrote in this booklet, um, Shabbat 31, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. Even the Jews knew this golden rule. That which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow that the whole Torah, the rest of this is explanation, 
go and learn. In other words, don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. The Torah tells you all about this. So you would go to the Torah. And the Torah are the first five books of the law. And one of them was Leviticus. I'll just read you one of the things out of the law. Leviticus 19 verse 18 says this. Notice the negative. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You probably recognize the last part of that verse, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But this is out of the Torah, so it is written in the negative. Don't take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Why? Because you wouldn't want them to do it to you in the negative. Jesus brilliantly turns it into the positive. Here's what he says, Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I want you to read that really carefully because this is going to blow your socks off, literally. Like, put your feet out because your socks will now blow off. <laughs> whatever you, what's the next word there? Whatever you wish others would do for you, you do for them. Does that strike you a little weird? I know we typically say, do to others as you want them to do you. This is a little bit, whatever you wish somebody would do for you, you make sure you do it for them first. It is much easier, it is much logical to deal with this in the negative. It comes most natural to us. If we don't follow something, there will be penalties. If we don't follow something, if we, if we don't do bad things to other people, they won't do bad things to us. By the way, our whole judicial system is listed in the negative. Not this way, but in the negative. Why do you obey the rules of the road? Because you're going to get in trouble if you don't, right? Negative number one. And negative number two, if somebody else doesn't obey the rules of the road, you can look at them and you can judge them quickly, right? Some of us judge faster than others, by the way. I know, when you're riding in your car and you're going, they're not obeying the rules of the road. It's much easier to judge somebody else when you're following the rules in the negative. If you don't obey the law, you are going to get in trouble. So you look at other people and you say, you need to obey the law because I have to obey the law. If you don't want to get your stuff stolen, don't steal from other people, right? The reason you don't steal from others is because you don't want them to steal your stuff. The reason you don't bear false witness against somebody is because you don't want them to bear false witness against you. Everything is in the negative. You don't want bad things to happen to you, so don't do bad things to other people. Jesus turns it into the positive. He says, do things to others that you wish they would do for you. Are your socks beginning to blow off a little bit? In the negative, the golden rule listed in the negative is reasonable. It makes sense. I'm not responsible to do anything for you in the law. I am responsible to not do anything to hurt you according to the law. Get that? I'm not responsible to do anything for you in the law. I'm just responsible to not do anything to harm you according to the law. And in fact, according to the law, I just have to do the bare minimum. I don't even have to try hardly at all. I can just kind of be a hermit to myself and you can leave me alone and I will fulfill the golden rule as listed before Jesus came and gave us his version. In fact, you may not know this, but the Ten Commandments are all listed except for one in the negative. Did you know that? 
Let me show it to you. In the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the Ten Commandments, you have no this, no that. Nothing in the positive, all in the negative. The only one that's in the positive is number five, honor your parents. The rest of these is no other gods, no images, no taking the Lord's name in vain, no breaking the Sabbath, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no bearing false witness, no coveting. In other words, everything is written in the negative. Lo in the Hebrew means no. And if you read this in the Hebrew, most of these are just two words, and there they are. No murder, no adultery, no stealing. Don't do these things because you don't want people to do those things to you. The incentive to do these things, the incentive to not hurt other people, is so that they won't hurt you. Jesus comes and changes this to the positive. He says, do to other people what you wish they would do for you. And with that subtle change, everything is made different. Jesus flips it on his head. Do more than the bare minimum that you are required to do by the law. And the change that Jesus brings highlights the big difference between the law and grace. The small change was brilliant. Because grace is giving me what I don't deserve. When God calls us, when God saves us, he gives us what we don't deserve. We are rebels sitting at the table of a king. We are paupers invited to come in and feast at the table. We are given far more than we deserve. Even God says, in the Gospels, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Grace pours over every single one of us. Even those who hate God, grace pours over them too. God's heart is about doing things for us that we do not deserve. And Jesus changes this concept of the golden rule so that we will behave in a way that mirrors the heart of the Father that we will begin to do things for others that they simply do not deserve. Jesus saying, is saying it's not doing just the bare minimum. It's going above and beyond. The golden rule, he says, then if we understand it in this way, the golden rule is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So my question to you at this point is, what golden rule are you living out? Are you living out the old one, the Confucius one, the Buddhist one? Are you living out the old one, the, the one that was written down in the halal? Are you, right, are you living out the one that says, I'm just not going to hurt other people and they're not going to hurt me? Or are you living out the one that Jesus says, no, let's change it. Do actively seek out to bless others like you wish they would bless you. That's crazy, isn't it? Something as simple as understanding the way that Jesus changes this concept begins to give us a glimpse through the window of grace like we are expected to have. So is your golden rule fool's gold? Because a lot of people's are. A lot of people follow the rule that just says, I'm not gonna do anything to other people that I wouldn't want them to do to me. In fact, in verse 12, Matthew 7 and verse 12, we pick up on the Sermon on the Mount. 
And Jesus says in this golden rule, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This first word in the Sermon on the Mount, or the first word in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the first word in the golden rule is the word what? So. So. Why is the word so there? If you think about the way that you carry on a sentence and you're explaining something to somebody, by the time you get to the word so, you hope that you've explained it pretty well. Because so is going to bring about a conclusive statement, right? Here's all the things I'm explaining to you. Here's all the things I'm laying out for you. So, based on all of that, so this. This is what I'm going to say to you now. Jesus says the same thing. Therefore, it's important for us to remember what Jesus has just talked about. Do you remember what Jesus has just talked about? We just talked about it last week, but I know it was seven whole days ago. Do you remember what it was about? Had to do with uh, three things. Ask, seek, knock. Good, good, good. And what is the response of the Father? Is his response, "Ah, go away, I've heard enough of you. I've done all that I can for you. You are beyond help. Or is his, is his response different from that? What's his response? Different. different. He runs to the door. That's why he says knock. He's not like the evil judge. Remember the evil judge that says, this lady is going to pester me until I die. I hope she goes away. God is not like that. We ask, we seek, we knock, because we know God is the Father who comes running to us to answer our prayers. That leads us to the golden rule. And Jesus says, based on what you understand about your father, running to meet your need. So, you do to others as you would want them to do to you. As you would wish they would do to you. So explains to us why we had just talked, uh, what Jesus had just talked about with regards to the father's heart for us. This is the way your father would act toward you. So you act this way toward other people. God runs to your needs. You run to others' needs. And how much does God give us? I know, this is the second part. No, this is like point 1A that's going to blow your socks off. How much does God run to our rescue? How much will God bless us? How much? This much, this much? One out of ten. One being like, uh, get away from my door, get off my lawn, tired of you kids around here, right? And ten being anything you need, ask, please ask, all right? Where would God be? Eleven, yeah, that's right. God would be ten plus. And Jesus says, since you know that about your father, since you know that, so you go out of your way to do things for others that you wish God would use them to do to you. Does that sound like over the top? If it does, you're right where I want you to be. Jesus is giving this message and he's not using what they're used to hearing. He's turning it upside down because if you're sitting there thinking, Craig, that sounds like something really hard to do, then you're in the right place. This is exactly the way that people would have been talking and thinking as Jesus spoke this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is, according to Jesus, this is the great message of the Law and the Prophets. This is what they wrote about all through the Old Testament. Don't follow the exact interpretation of the law like you've been hearing for 400 years. We haven't had a prophet on the stage for 400 years. This is a dark era between when Nehemiah put up the wall 
And then nothing else is written about any prophets or anything. We have the rise of Rome and the rise of the Sadducees and the rise of the Pharisees, and nobody knows where they come from. And then we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of a sudden things have changed. And Jesus is born, and he becomes the mouthpiece of God after 400 years of silence from God. Jesus becomes a mouthpiece of God, and he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard this, but I say to you. The whole Sermon on the Mount is turning upside down everything that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes have been telling these people because all they've been saying is an interpretation of their version of the law, and Jesus comes along and says, you've heard this, I'm telling you, they're not getting all of it. You've heard, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, they're missing it because God is about going out of his way to do things for you that you wish he would do for you, and you need to do that for other people too. It turns their worlds upside down. He says, have the heart of your father. Do what you would, do to others what you would want God to do for you. And it all comes down to an explanation of what the law and the prophets is all about. And it's not about a list of rules. It's about understanding what love means. That's why when Jesus explained the law and the prophets and they said, What's the greatest law? We're having a conversation here. I think it's like no stealing. Okay, well, I think it's like no adultery. I think it's like no coveting. That's like a culmination of all 10. And Jesus says, you've all missed it. The greatest law that you could follow is love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and strength, mind and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as much as you would love yourself. So here's your path to real gold. Starting in verse 13, Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus continues, he says, So, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. Most people think that they, and they go right to this verse, and, and I, I did too. I went right to this verse and I said, Jesus is a narrow gate. Go through Jesus. That is your way to salvation. And while that is true, that is not the main emphasis of what Jesus is saying here. So here's the second thing that's going to blow your other sock off. Here it is. This passage is a continuing thought of the golden rule. Here's why I would say that. The main thrust of this is to compare the law to grace. Doing the bare minimum, not hurting others and hoping that they don't hurt you. That's the bare minimum that you can do. That's not love. That's the bare necessities. Love is going above and beyond. Love is saying, what can I how much could I possibly do for you? That's love. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying the gate that is wide and easy leads to destruction. Easy, by the way, does not mean it doesn't take a lot of work. Easy means it comes natural. The gate is wide and the way is easy means this is what we are born doing. It's the easy way to go. You don't have to change anything in your life to walk on the wide path. You are born with every instinct to do the easy thing, what comes natural. Don't harm others, because you don't want them to harm you. That comes natural. And when they do harm you, you judge them, right? Right? I'm not going to cut you off, so I expect that you won't cut me off when we're driving. Oh, you cut me off. I judge you. I judge you. We don't lie about the reputations of others, because we don't want them to lie about our reputations. It's easy to follow. 
In fact, you don't have to read very far in the Bible to know the rules at all. In Romans 1, it says we're born knowing the rules. In Romans 1, it says every one of us knows right from wrong. It's just a matter of some of us suppress it. Some of us ignore it. Some of us change it. Some of us try and get popular vote to change our minds about it. It comes natural to me. I want peace, so I keep peace with others. I pay my taxes, so I don't get a visit from the IRS. I obey traffic rules. I expect others to obey traffic rules. I put myself under the law so that I can expect other people to go under the law and I can have expectations from others. Because we're made in God's image, we are naturally born with that ability to know what not to do to hurt others and to have the same instinct, expectation from them. Everybody knows stealing is wrong, right? Everybody knows that. Some people can just suppress it. Somebody stealing things from others is not a good thing to do because you don't want your stuff stolen from you. Everybody knows having a sexual relationship outside of your marriage is wrong. You know that's wrong. I don't have to explain that to you. You're born with that instinct. Now you can suppress it. Culture can tell you something different. Everybody knows a grown man changing in a room where there's little girls is wrong. Culture can tell you it's different. Culture can call you intolerant because you don't believe that to be true, but that is wrong. Everybody knows that. There are certain things that are built into our DNA we know are right and wrong. We can suppress that. We can change our minds. We can take a popular vote and say what is wrong is now right, but that doesn't make it right. In our psyche, we know it's wrong. We're all born that way. Being in the image of God, fallen as we are. We adapt our thoughts. We allow culture to form our thoughts a lot of times. A lot of times. But ultimately, we know what is in the category of right and what is in the category of wrong. And Jesus says, listen, what comes natural to you doesn't make it right. In fact, there's a verse in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death. Why? Because it's easy. This is what comes natural to you, but that alone is not going to be enough to give you points with God. God is not about doing the bare minimum for you. God is not about not hurting you. God is about blessing you more than, more than any of us deserve. God is about doing, not, not doing. The gate is wide, it's easy, it's reasonable, it's popular. That's what it means when Jesus says the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to death. But the next verse says this. The gate is narrow and the way is, what's the next word there, church? The way is narrow, or the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. What's hard about giving your life to Jesus Christ? Not a lot, right? I mean, you have to get over your pride. That's probably a lot for a lot of us. That is, that is kind of hard. But this passage is not talking about salvation. This passage is talking about the change that comes because of salvation. This is about what Jesus does in our lives after we come to know the Lord as our Savior. The bare minimum that we do for other people is the wide weight, is a wide gate. It's the wide way. I can do absolutely my best. I can even go above and beyond doing my least for somebody, and that's still not good enough. That's why following Jesus is very difficult, especially for good people. 
to go. Because good people are good. They're good to one another. This, though, Jesus is saying, is a little bit different than that. The narrow way following Jesus is hard. You might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, Craig, that's not what I've heard. I've always heard that following Jesus is easy. Just give your life to the Lord. Try him out for a little while. See how he works for you. And yet, that's not the way that Jesus sounds. Is it true that living by grace is harder than living by the law? Yeah, Yeah, it is true. And here's why. Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How do you square that with him, the same guy saying the way is hard that leads to life? Simply because Jesus is talking about a functioning grace that is meant to drive my life. A grace that is meant to come through in my life to everybody that I see. A grace that is meant to change me from the inside out. Following the law, that's natural. I'm not going to hurt you, you don't hurt me. Or we all get judged by the law. That comes natural. Grace comes unnatural. That is completely different than anything we've ever heard in our lives because grace says it's not enough that you don't hurt somebody else. What grace is saying is go above and beyond to bless somebody else. Make a sacrifice that hurts you so someone else can be blessed. It's crazy, isn't it? Is your other sock blown off yet? Rules are easy because it's natural to follow the bare minimum. I mean, we always ask, what's the least expected of me? Give me a job description so I know what the least expected of me could possibly be. Tell me what is the least number I need to make on this test so that I can pass. Tell me the least that I need to do. Grace says, no, it's not enough to do the least. You got to do the most you can do. Rules are easy because all we have to do is a bare minimum. Grace is hard because it requires us to fundamentally change at the core. This is why in verse 16, later on, Jesus says, by their fruits, talking about false teachers, he said, by their fruit you will know them. Those who preach a message of God outside of grace are evident. All they do is talk about the law. Jesus talks about grace. They promote the easy way. They sell Jesus as a tool that can make your job, your career, and your life even better. Jesus doesn't want to make your job, your career, your life, your marriage. He doesn't want to make that better. That's a, that's a, sub, a subtopic. Jesus wants to make you change. So is about bearing good fruit. It's more than doing the bare minimum. So if your attitude is to do the least that you need to do, you're missing the point. This is what Jesus is saying. God the Father goes to extreme lengths to bless you beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. So you do the same. Your attitude should be the same as your Father. Do anything you could possibly do to bless others around you. That leaves good fruit. If you want your father to do this for you, then you can ask him, and he will listen, like we talked about last week. And if you want others to do that for you, you do it for them first, before they even ask. Isn't that crazy talk? Does that feel like a weight is on your shoulders at all? Does that feel like, 
Craig, how in the world could I possibly do the most for everybody around me? Exactly. <laughs> That's the point. It doesn't mean that you need to sell all that you have like the rich young ruler. But the message is the same. The message is your heart must fundamentally change so that instead of thinking about the bare minimum that you need to do for others, you begin to think, what is the most I can do for you? Do things without being asked. Answer your texts like you would want somebody to answer their texts. <laughs> offer a hand as soon as you would want somebody to offer you a hand. Serve someone as you would want them to serve you in your time of need. This is hard, but the bottom line is, bare minimum is not the heart of the Father. The law tells us what we must not do. Jesus is telling us what we ought to do. Do unto others as you wish they would do for you. This is the narrow path. This is the path that is hard, but this is the path that Jesus calls us to walk. That's why he said, take up your cross and follow me. That's why Jesus says, the way is hard. We start with others' needs and not with our own needs. Our minds need to be fixated on the needs of others, their dreams, their hopes, their needs. Paul understands this. And if you look at the Bible through these lenses, you'll be amazed at how often this leaps off of the pages of Scripture. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes, complete my joy to the Philippian church. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Read this with me, church, if you would. It's up on the screen. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Understanding the golden rule, does that make this passage a little more clear for us? This is why when we get to Philippians and we read that without understanding the emphasis of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we might misunderstand this passage and say, well, you know, I need to consider them more significant than myself, so I need to like honor them or don't be mean to them or do the bare minimum. But Paul is just reiterating what Jesus said. No, no, no. consider their needs more than your own. It's crazy talk, isn't it? Socks blown off. This is why this is called the golden rule. The term here, golden rule, we have a tendency to look at this and, and think the golden law, but rule in this case is not necessarily like a rule like in the law, you know, do not pass go, do not collect 200 out community chest, I can't, gotta obey the rules, or you gotta wait to your turn to roll the dice. That's not the rule that we're talking about. Rule is like the idea of ruler. It's like the standard, it's like the, the, the the gauge by which you judge what Jesus is saying by. This is the golden gauge, the golden ruler, the golden straight edge to guide your life by. Now, you might be saying, well, Craig, I've got a golden rule that I follow. My golden ruler is this, God first, family second, others, others third, and then I'm last. Am I on the right course? No, you're not. This is nowhere in Scripture. I know. If you had a third leg, your sock would now be blown off the third leg, wouldn't it? <laughs> I thought this was the right way, Craig. You're telling me this isn't the right way. We have a tendency to prioritize, but this is the right way. Thank you. You can go that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Any room for anything else? 
No, that's all. All means all. And the second is just like it. Love others.